Hello, this is Dr. Shantae, and welcome to another episode of Whole and Complete Podcast, the podcast all about faith and wellness, loving God, and living well. I am so excited about so many things that are actually for you. I'm excited for you is what I am. And I am excited because in between last episode and this episode, our whole and complete wellness community on Facebook is live. And so you can go right this second to Facebook and join the whole and complete wellness community. And why do you want to do that? You want to do that because season one will soon be coming to a close. Yes, I said it. I know. Try not to like, you know, fall apart. But instead of my usual three month hiatus, like I used to do on Believing Bigger, this one will only be like six weeks. <laughs> so, so I'll be right back. But after we get through the battle series, okay, so we talked about battling loneliness, and now we're talking about battling depression and anxiety, and we will wrap up with battling addiction. That one is going to be a really powerful series. And when I do that, we will be 30 episodes in. Uh, 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 uh. So in case you didn't know what I was doing, I was like, you know, doing like the body pump thing, you know, because starting this podcast right before a pandemic and continuing to podcast through a pandemic and both parents got sick in the pandemic, baby. Ooh, mm -mm. ain't got good. <laughs> ain't got good. And so throughout all of that, we have just been plugging and chugging and 30 episodes in is where we will take a brief pause, like I said, for about six weeks. But during that time, you will still be able to get your fix of whole and complete if you are a part of that Facebook community. So you need to do that. You need to hop on over to Facebook and join that community. And trust me, if you are apprehensive, I totally get it because sometimes Facebook groups can be really valuable and they have such good information. And then other times it's just like, ugh, ugh, it's a drain on the soul. And so obviously I want our community to be the former and not the latter. And we just can't do that without you. So make sure that you hop on over to Facebook and join that group. Do it, do it, do it, do it today. Another great thing that I'm excited about is I have just published a guide on five life-changing habits to stop self-sabotage. One of the things that I have realized, certainly throughout my business journey, throughout my brand journey, throughout my mental health journey, is that more times than not, I am the person that is standing in my way, that I have convinced myself. I have told myself some story. I have somehow derailed my success and I'm the only one who has the power to get back on track. And so I have published that guide and it is available and accessible to you right now on all of my social media channels. And so if you want to grab that guide and end the cycle of self-sabotage, whether it is procrastination, whether it's self-doubt, any of those things, you can do that as well. And actually, you know what? I'm not even going to say that part. I'm going to save the best for last. I have some really good things coming up down the pipeline. So we are just full steam ahead. No matter what's happening in the world, we are still moving forward with our wellness journey. Okay. At the end of the day, it's all about being whole and complete. And that doesn't stop just because life is happening. And I want to tell you something, life is never going to stop happening. So sometimes we're waiting for things to calm down or sometimes we're waiting for things, you know, to, to get over the hump. And at any given moment, things can ramp up at any given moment. 
life just doesn't stop happening because you have goals. Life does not stop happening because you have goals, which means you have to persevere in spite of life happening. And that is exactly what we are endeavoring to do. And certainly on today's podcast, as we talk about part two, battling anxiety. So if you are new to this podcast and this is the first episode you've ever heard, you might want to double back and listen to the first part of this series, which was about battling depression and Here today, we are going to talk about a close cousin of battling anxiety. And we actually have a different guiding scripture for today's episode, which comes out of the book of Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. And it says this, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so sometimes we hear that scripture and we're like, what the heck is supplication? So a supplication, if you think about the word supplement, okay, here the scripture is saying, do not be anxious about anything. Take everything to God and prayer. And as you are praying, supplement that prayer, add to that prayer with your trust, with your belief, with your faith, with the word of God. Lord, you said that you would never leave me or forsake me. Lord, you said that I could come to you in a time of trouble. Those are supplements. Okay, so you have a central prayer and you are supporting that prayer with supplements. Okay, with the word of God. And as I tell my students in my English class, when I teach them, I said, listen, you cannot make claims that you do not substantiate. I have a clause in my syllabus that says back that thing up. So if you are going to be making statements, okay, if you're going to say Michael Jordan is the best basketball player that ever lived, you better be ready to substantiate those claims with support. Okay. And so that's what supplication is. So do not be anxious about anything. Take everything to God in prayer and supplement those prayers with the word of God, which you cannot know unless you study it for yourself. And so that's what that means. And the peace of God says when you do that, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so our focus today is anxiety is both a symptom and a disorder. We will be talking about triggers and we will take a look at what God says about anxiety. So let's get into it. So anxiety is both a symptom and a disorder. And as we always do, let's start with the definition. So anxiety is a feeling of worry, of nervousness, of unease. You're uneasy about something, typically about an imminent event. So something that is about to happen or something with an uncertain outcome, meaning you're just not sure what's going to happen. You're not sure how it's going to work out. Anxiety can be an indicator of an underlying disease when feelings become excessive, all-consuming, and interfere with daily life. So to be clear, anxiety is a normal part of life, and usually it is situational. So you can have anxiety before a test, you can have anxiety before you have to speak in public, and under those circumstances, anxiety is temporary and completely expected, and it usually goes away when the situation has changed. Anxiety can also be a positive thing. So there is something called facilitating anxiety. There's facilitating anxiety and debilitating anxiety. And I talk about this in one of my classes that I teach at the college when we talk about learning frameworks. But facilitating anxiety is the kind of anxiety that motivates you to succeed, to go all in. So it it gets you pumped up for the task. Well, if you think about sports teams or athletes, you know, right before the game, they're like, all right, let's go, let's go. 
let's go, you know, like they're getting themselves hype, you know, for the game, you know, like they're just all of that energy, okay, about what's about to happen. They're getting that and they're using that as the fuel to take them forward. But in our series for today, we're talking about that debilitating anxiety, the anxiety that does the exact opposite, that kind of breaks you down. Anxiety tends to show up when something is about to happen or it gets triggered by something that has already happened. So when we look at our definition, our definition indicates that the former is usually connected to some type of uncertainty about the future, right? So for example, you can have anxiety about becoming a parent for the first time and suddenly having all this newfound responsibility thrust upon you. Some of you, many of us have experienced anxiety during this pandemic because We've never experienced a pandemic. We don't know what's going to happen. Some people have lost jobs. Some people have lost loved ones. Now, you know, as the summer is winding down and we have to think about sending our children back to school, you know, so there can be anxiety about that, right? Um, it can show up before you get some test results back from the doctor's office and you're hoping and praying that it's not bad news. But there are also types of anxieties that are rooted in previous experiences. So for example, PTSD is an anxiety disorder. I have PTSD and it's usually triggered by something in the present that takes you back to a painful place in the past. So something could happen today that will take me right back to something painful that happened way back when. And that anxiety, what it creates in my body, that that fight or flight or or the uh, coursing of that cortisol, that stress hormone, it will create a sensation in my my physical self, something that's not happening anymore, but happened way back when it can absolutely have an impact in your life and in your body today. And I want us to take a look at the last part of our definition where it says that anxiety can be an indicator of an underlying disease when the feelings become excessive, all-consuming, and interfere with daily life. So sometimes so, uh, so sometimes anxiety is a symptom of a larger issue, meaning that something else is going on that is creating these feelings on a more regular basis, and it is beginning to disrupt our daily life. So it is not normal to never want to go out. It is not normal to never feel any peace at work or at home. It is not normal to always feel triggered by social media or anxious whenever you open up your phone and you see notifications. It's not normal to never want to be around your family or to be afraid to check the mail because you think there's going to be bad news or constantly looking over your shoulder or being stressed to the point of panic and paralysis. I have students in my class that sometimes struggle to come to class. They want to learn. They enjoy the material. They're engaged. But there are some days when they feel absolutely paralyzed. And the thought, let alone the act of coming to class, leaves them feeling completely broken down and debilitated. And when anxiety is is interfering with your ability to work or to go to school or to go to sleep, or to have healthy relationships, or to communicate with your friends, family, loved ones, partner, then it's time to seek help and get a professional assessment about what might really be going on. I do want to say that anxiety is not a weakness, okay? Some people can be very judgmental about that when it's not their struggle. So you'll hear things like, oh my gosh, just do it, you know, like just 
just get up, just go to school, just do this, just do that. Or, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize you were so quote unquote delicate. People can be really snarky and insensitive about it. But the fact of the matter is everybody has something that causes them to be uneasy at some point in their lives. Some people just have a better capacity to manage it than others, which brings us to triggers. So there are different types of triggers, all different kinds of triggers. A trigger by definition is something that stimulates a response or a reaction. Okay. So an emotional trigger is anything that makes us feel uncomfortable or distressed, like a topic of conversation. You know, all of a sudden you were talking about something or you see something on TV and that conversation or that subject matter, you know, makes you feel uncomfortable or some kind of way. Um, A trigger can be an old picture, a smell, a sound, or an experience that makes you feel rejected or unloved or unprotected or exposed. Um, I'll give you an example of this. So, oof, I don't know when this was. It was way back in my teen years. So I remember that I was like 16, 17. I had my little job and I had saved up my little money. And I said that I was going to take my mother to the movies like it was going to be like a triple feature because it was a lot of things out that she had wanted to see. And I remember that one of those movies was What's Love Got to Do With It with um, Angela Bassett and um, Lawrence Fishburne, the Ike and Tina story. And I really wasn't familiar with that story. But, you know, the previews look good. And hey, it was Tina Turner. And, you know, I was a child of the 80s. What's Love Got to Do With It? So, I mean, I just, we went. and. The abuse in that movie triggered it. It made me so uncomfortable. Like I was, my countenance had totally changed after the movie. My mother knew it too. You know, she was like, are you okay? Is it, you know, what's wrong with you? And I was like, nothing, I'm fine, nothing, I'm fine. But the fact of the matter is, is that that those scenes of domestic abuse took me back to the domestic abuse that I grew up with when I was a child. And so that movie served as a trigger, a reminder, and took me back to that place. Triggers are typically associated with trauma and they can take us back to painful memories or experiences. And the response to a trigger can be any number of things. So you might get triggered by smell and start hyperventilating. You could be triggered and suddenly have no energy. You can be triggered and suddenly feel chest pains or like the walls are closing in and you just need to get out. You can also be triggered and engage in destructive behaviors. For example, someone's trigger may feel may be that they felt judged. Okay, so if they felt judged, then they respond by shutting down emotionally and ending the relationship. Or sometimes people feel rejected or abandoned. And so they go seeking validation in sex or other ego stroking type activities. Um, John Gottman is a world renowned psychological researcher and his work. I mean, if you just the Gottman Institute, I mean, it, it is just renowned and his work helped to develop the language for identifying triggers. So, for example, sometimes when things happen to us and we act out or we lash out or we come out of the bag, so to speak, We don't always have the language when somebody's like, what is wrong with you? Or what is going on with you? Or what is that about? Sometimes we don't always have the language to be able to pinpoint exactly what it was that set us off. And John Gottman's work kind of helped 
shepherd and introduce the language that people can use to say, okay, here is what I was feeling that set me off. So sometimes the trigger can be, I felt unworthy or I felt invisible or I felt disconnected or I felt left out. I felt trapped. I felt manipulated. I felt disrespected. All of these triggers can facilitate some form of anxiety, depression, or anger. Okay. So all of those things are fair game to, to set you off depending on your individual life and circumstances. But here's the key. When you recognize toxic patterns in your behavior, so whether it's procrastination or cutting people off or it's addiction, which we're going to talk about in our next series. And I know some of you are already thinking like, oh, well, I'm going to sit that series out because I don't don't do drugs. Listen, honey, 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 you can be addicted to all kinds of things. Okay. You can be addicted to social media. You can be addicted to video games. You can be addicted to pornography. You can be addicted to drama. You can be addicted to attention. There, Oh goodness. There's all kinds of things that people can be addicted to. So don't count yourself out just yet. I'm not saying that you are, but it's definitely going to be worth a listen, but toxic behaviors, I mean, tax, toxic patterns in your behavior. So like procrastinating, cutting people off, addiction, self-sabotage. Okay. It's, It's so important to get to the root of those behaviors to pull that thread and understand what is triggering or facilitating that behavior. Because when you know what your triggers are, it makes it easier for you to manage them. It makes it easier for you to communicate your feelings. It makes it easier for you to process what's happening in a healthy way. So for example, I will share you with you my story. I have several triggers actually, but, um, (laughs) but away we go. But at least I know what they are and I'm working to manage them and, and I can recognize them before they facilitate some sort of toxic or destructive behavior. So for me, I noticed that whenever someone was sick around me and was unable to go to work or go to school or do for themselves, I used to get so agitated and annoyed and it was to the point where I started to wonder why it was so hard for me to feel empathy in those instances. And what I came to realize was that I equated sickness with weakness and being weak meant you were vulnerable. Being weak meant you were easily taken advantage of, or you could be easily abused. And I thought back to my childhood. I remember telling my mother once, whenever I was sick, that her bedside manner left much to be desired because she treated my sickness like it was an inconvenience. Like now that you're sick, I got to be off work. Or now that you're sick, my plans have been disrupted. Like I need you to be healthy. I need you to be okay all the time. Like I need you to make my life easier by not being a normal kid. I need you to have adult competencies to function and manage yourself so that I am not inconvenienced. And I thought that way for a long time, you know, and when I think about, you know, those messages that I received during my childhood, I grew up thinking that the worst thing that you could be was weak because being weak made you a victim. And so that was something that I would not allow in myself. And so because I wouldn't allow it in myself, I wouldn't allow it in other people 
either. Um, I had a very similar reaction to tears. So tears for me were like the ultimate form of weakness. You know, I grew up with this chip on my shoulder, you know, never let them see you sweat, you know, cry your tears in private. I used to go around saying things like tears don't pay bills, meaning like, yeah, you can be upset about it all you want to. But at the end of the day, are these tears going to pay your bills? No, they're not. Are they going to produce anything productive? No, they won't. And so I had totally shut that down. And I raised my daughter like that. I, I raised her saying, you know, if you're not sick or if you're not hurt, then there's no reason for you to cry. And looking back, I regret that because that stunted her emotional growth and it did not allow her to fully process things that were hard for her. But for me, tears for me were about having a childhood where my tears, when I was, you know, crying, my, my tears of, of, of woe, those tears fell on deaf ears. And I was raised by someone who was emotionally unavailable to me. And so I learned to toughen up. I learned to deaden myself to emotions so that I could withstand the abuse that was happening in my household without having a breakdown. Every time it happened, I began to normalize the trauma. I compartmentalized it and I had no room for tears because tears meant a breakdown and I couldn't afford to break down because if you break down, then it means you're a victim. And if you're a victim, then you're going to get abused and so on and so on and on it goes. And that was my coping mechanism for decades. Hence the reason I'm in therapy today. <laughs> so, so I say all that to say that it, it's very insidious. It's very sneaky. Like these things that happen the decisions that you make when they happen. Okay. So things happen to you and you make a decision about what that means for your life at very young ages. And then you keep making those decisions and they keep manifesting in adulthood. And the decision that you made right way back when, when you were a kid doesn't work for you anymore as an adult. And so when you recognize those patterns, you have to do something about them, which brings us to what does the Bible say about anxiety? So, I can give you the cliff notes version, right? So a central theme of what the Bible says about anxiety is not to worry about things that you cannot control. A lot of time, our anxiety is rooted in things that we cannot control. Situations where we cannot manufacture or guarantee the outcome. Is she gonna love me in 20 years? Will I get laid off? What does the future hold? Will my child make healthy decisions? You know, all, what does the, what is the doctor gonna say? And the Bible has a number of responses to this. So the Bible talks about fear, worry, anxiety, no less than 500 times at various points. And I want to share some of these passages with you. So Luke 12, 25 says, who among you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest of it? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor, meaning they don't work nor do they spin, meaning they don't do anything to be wild flowers. They just are. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed as one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or what you will drink. Do not worry about it. And so here what... What the Bible is saying is that if you look at the beauty of the mountains or trees and just how or flowers, okay, and how beautiful they are and how in, intricately they are 
constructed. Many of you have gotten flowers and they are beautiful when you first bring them home. But, you know, five days later, they are falling apart, you know, petals all over everywhere. And next thing you know, you know, you have to toss them out. And the Bible is saying that even Solomon, with all of his riches and all of his glory and wisdom, was not as intricately put together as some of these flowers are. And if those flowers, which are so intricately woven together here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, if God will do that for the flowers, what do you think he will do for you? And I think a lot of times we forget that we have a partner in this, that that we are not alone in this, that God knows exactly what you need of, that he cares more about you than he does about the flowers. And so that there is no need to worry needlessly about those things, because if you go on to read that that scripture in that passage, it says your father knows what you have need of before you even ask for it. First Peter five, six through eight says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand so that in due time he will exalt you. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be sober minded, meaning be clear headed and alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So this is a mouthful. It really is. First of all, humble yourselves. That's the key. That is so key to this. Okay. This is so key to helping to manage the anxiety. It is about relinquishing the control. When you humble yourself, you are saying that God has the upper hand here. Okay. That I will defer to him. Okay. I will defer this to him uh, so that in due time, he may exalt you. Cast all your anxiety on him. Cast all, all, all of it, every last bit of it, your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. So God knows how heavy it is to carry all of that all the time. And one of the hardest things for us to do is relinquish control. These verses literally tell us to cast our cares. And when you cast something, you don't just toss it, okay? You fling it as far away from you as you can. So like many fishermen do, when they cast their nets, they throw it far away from the ship into deeper waters or when a fisherman cast his line, he rears it back and he flings it out as far as it will go far away from him. And that is what the Bible is saying that we ought to do with our anxiety to fling it as far away from us as we can and say, Lord, you take this, you deal with this, you manage this. God is literally saying to us, listen to this. God is literally saying, you do not have the control. I do. You don't know the future. I do. You cannot do the impossible. I can. You don't have unlimited resources. I do. You don't know all the particulars. I do. You did not make yourself or the people in your life. I did. You cannot change hearts and minds. I can. You have a very limited perspective and I have the whole story. So who are you going to trust? You or me? And when you break it down like that, I'm going to roll the dice and I'm going to put my money on the person who has all the cards. (laughs) You know, God has all of the cards. And so we don't have to carry the burden. Having said that, though, you know, God has not given us the spirit of fear. He has given us the power of love and of a sound mind. And sometimes we just don't use 
or feel we're able to use the power that is available to us. And again, this is not pray and walk away. I want to be very clear on that. I'm never going to tell you to do that. There is still some human responsibility on our part to notice the patterns, to recognize the triggers, to learn how to communicate our feelings in healthy ways, to seek professional help when we need it, to take medications if that is what's deemed most helpful, and to take an active role in our well-being. It's not either or, it's and. It's not either I trust God or I take this into my own hands. It's I'm trusting God and I'm trusting God by faith and I'm doing the work that demonstrates my faith. So faith without works is dead. So sometimes when you go to the the counselor or you take medication, you know, then you'll hear these snarky people. Don't you trust God? Don't you pray? Don't you go to church? I thought, I I almost said shut up. Listen, hush. Okay, listen. (laughs) Okay, I'm shutting that down right now. Faith without works is dead and the work is not going to be the same for every single person. Okay, so pray and walk away that you can do that. Okay. So you can pray and walk away without the anxiety, but then you also have to walk away with the commitment to do the work that is necessary to manage the anxiety. And that is the key. So when you hear words, you know, phrases like I'm managing my diabetes or I'm managing my anxiety, that means that it is something that has to be watched. It is something that has to be supervised. It cannot be left to its own devices. So yes, there is still a role for us to play. But what God is saying is that I am equipping you with the tools to do that. And his will for us is to unburden ourselves and allow him to be a partner in our mental health journey by releasing our attachment to worry and anxiety and control and focusing on managing the things that we actually can do and the things that we can control. Okay, so there you have it. So that is the conclusion of our depression and anxiety uh, two-parter. Our next part, I'm happy to bring Dr. Mary Hendrickson on this show, who is such a dynamo. And I'm so excited to hear what she has to say about these topics. She is another uh, clinical health expert that is going to share with us some perspectives about how we can manage depression and anxiety in our own lives. Having said that, If you have not already, please review this podcast. Please head to Apple Podcasts and review them. Every time I ask, and sometimes I take a look and I notice that you guys have done that. And I really do appreciate you all taking the time to write those reviews because they really do help other people find the podcast and to navigate it. And actually what I'm going to do, I'm going to read a couple of them to you just to show you how simple it is to do that. It says, um, love, love, love this podcast. Grab a pen and paper because Dr. Shantae drops gems throughout the entire episode. This woman of God is blessed and speaks and he speaks through her in every episode. You will not be disappointed. Such a blessing. This podcast has been such a blessing to my life. Dr. Shantae speaks on relevant topics and she provides so much insight from a Christian perspective on how to overcome these issues. This is the first podcast I've ever subscribed to. Oh, it's extremely therapeutic and helpful. Just what I need in my journey of healing. Thank you. So thank you to Asterix and Kamora Girl for writing those wonderful reviews. If you could do that, if you could take the time to do that, it would really help to change the algorithm for this podcast so that other people can find it and be blessed by it. Also, 
Make sure you hop into the Facebook group, the whole and complete wellness group, because that is where I'm going to be doing live stuff and interactive stuff, especially during the uh, times where the podcast is on hiatus. You'll still be able to access me through that group. And if you have any questions, comments, takeaways, any of that good stuff, make sure you holla at your girl at Dr. Shante says on Twitter, on Facebook, all that good stuff. And I will see you on our next episode.